Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us hear the word of God as we find it written in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, reading there in the third chapter beginning at the 14th verse. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. You heard me mention at the lectern, but today is the 16th Sunday after Trinity. And in the ancient church on this Sunday, as the epistle lesson, there was read a section from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, the third chapter. If you remember anything about Paul's missionary journeys, you probably recall that when he was on his second missionary journey, he came to the city of Ephesus in Asia Minor and spent just a short time there and promised himself that he would be back. And then came the third missionary journey, and Paul went to Ephesus, and he stayed there for about three years, and oh, he did a tremendous job, the greatest job in his entire missionary endeavor, a flourishing Christian congregation in the city of Ephesus and Asia Minor. Several years later, Paul found himself in jail in Rome, and from that jail he wrote this letter to that Christian congregation at Ephesus. And this is what he is writing to them in this third chapter. He is telling them that he is praying for them. I bow my knee unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and this was his prayer, uh, that the Holy Spirit would fill them with power in the inner man. He told them, I am praying for you, Ephesian Christians, that the Holy Spirit would make you strong stronger Christians, would make you mightier Christians, would increase your faith in Jesus Christ, making it stronger and stronger. That is my prayer. And so we find Paul calling upon the Ephesian Christians to, again, to allow the Holy Spirit to come into their hearts and to make their faith stronger and more vigorous and more mighty. Uh, this is the text this morning, and it's rather a joyous occasion to know that in hundreds of thousands of Christian churches today that are liturgical in this world, this is the epistle lesson that has been read or will be read. And as Paul speaks to you and me this morning of the 20th century, and he speaks to us out of the inspired word of God, he is calling to you and to me as Christians, and he is saying, will you please do this? Will you allow the Holy Spirit to strengthen your faith in Jesus Christ, to make it more robust, to make it stronger, to make it more fertile, to make it more vigorous? Will you allow the Spirit to do that as regards your faith in Christ? And will you see to it that you don't refuse to allow the Holy Spirit to do that? That is Paul's call to you and me as Christians this morning. And we may have a few doubts and misgivings about that, and rightly so. We may say to ourselves, why should I allow the Holy Spirit to come to me and strengthen my faith in Jesus Christ, when after all, isn't it true that even a weak faith in Christ saves? just as well as the strong faith. So what's the necessity? What is the necessity and the must in this thing that I should allow the Holy Spirit to strengthen my faith? Doesn't the Word of God say that a broken reed he will not break? Even if my faith is weak like a broken reed, God says I'll not break it off. Doesn't the Word of God say that? And it does. 
We may say, doesn't the Word of God say that even though my faith is like a smoking flax, no flame but smoke, God will not put it out? If a weak faith in Christ saves just as well as a strong faith, and that's true because that's the Word of God, we may say, I don't see that it's so deathly important that it's a matter of life and death that I allow the Holy Spirit to come into my heart and strengthen my faith and make me more robust and a stronger Christian in Jesus Christ. Why? There is no necessity, no reason for it. But the Apostle Paul, friends, when he calls to you and me as a Christian this morning, and he says, will you allow the Holy Spirit to make your faith stronger and stronger, that you become a mightier Christian than you are now. Paul assures you and me that that is an absolute must. It's an absolute necessity. It's an essential in your life and mind because Paul would remind you and me that if we refuse the Holy Spirit, that it means at the end of your life and mine, there will be no eternal life. There will be no heaven awaiting us. Even though you and I may say, doesn't a weak faith in Christ save just as well as a strong faith? And that is true. But nevertheless, there will not be a waking, you and me, if we refuse to allow the Holy Spirit to strengthen our faith in Christ. There will not be heaven awaiting you and me at the end of life because Paul reminds you and me of this fact that refusing to allow the Holy Spirit to come into our hearts, it means this eventual tragedy that your faith and mine in Jesus Christ will die. Again, may I emphasize that a broken reed he'll not break. A weak faith in Jesus Christ saves, and a smoking flax that is not even a flame. God will not extinguish. That is true. But have you and I ever realized what happens to a weak faith in Christ when you and I refuse to allow the Holy Spirit to feed it? When you and I refuse to allow the Holy Spirit to enlighten and to strengthen that faith? The Holy Spirit, as you and I know, no mystery about Him. He works through the Word of God. Either the preached Word of God, as you and I are hearing it now, the spoken Word of God, or through the written Word of God. And by means of the Word of God, the Holy Spirit wants to come into your heart and mind into our innermost part and to increase our appreciation of Jesus Christ. When you and I hear the word of God, he wants to cause you and me to realize this, that Jesus Christ is God's Son, that he loved you and me so much that he came into the world, and that he died for you and me, that we might have eternal life in him. And that that very fact of salvation may come to mean more and more to you and me, and that's what the Spirit wants to do. But what happens when you and I, with a weak faith, refuse to allow that Spirit to come and to increase our appreciation of Christ? The thing that happens, again, no great mystery, your faith and mine, that weak faith, dies. It dies because the Holy Spirit, bringing you and me to an appreciation of Christ, wants to bring us to a daily repentance of sin. And when we cut off the Holy Spirit, then there's no longer any daily sorrow for sin in your life and mine. The Holy Spirit wants to bring you and me to Calvary every day and to ask Christ to forgive us because he died for our sins. And when we refuse the Holy Spirit to strengthen our faith, that weak faith soon finds that there isn't any going to Calvary every day. There isn't any asking for forgiveness. There is no amendment of our life. The Holy Spirit calls you and me through the word, be a better Christian today than you were yesterday. But when we refuse to allow that spirit to strengthen our faith, what happens? We go on living as we please. And this faith that you and I have, this weak faith, it dies and that reed breaks off and that fire is quenched and that smoke is put out because you and I fail to allow the Holy Spirit 
to feed us. And then there comes this eventual tragedy that at the end of life there is no eternal life, no heaven awaiting you and me because of the very fact we don't even have a weak faith that is left in Jesus Christ. Paul is writing this letter to the Ephesians up in Asia Minor. And if you and I look onto our map, we say to ourselves, where is Ephesus today? Here was a flourishing congregation. He worked three years there. A tremendous job was done. That country of Asia Minor now is what we know as modern Turkey. And when we go to Ephesus, there is just a small handful of Christians there today. What happened to the Ephesian congregation? Here was Constantinople up in Turkey. Again, that at one time, a tremendous center of the Christian faith. Now Istanbul. What's happened in Turkey? The Mohammedans have taken over and Christianity is on the wane because somehow or other the Ephesian Christians and down through the centuries they failed to allow the Holy Spirit to strengthen their faith and to defend the faith and therefore what has happened? It has gone out through starvation. And oh what a tragedy that you and I may know this when we refuse to allow the Holy Spirit to come into our hearts to strengthen our faith in Jesus Christ even though a weak faith in Christ saves even as much as a strong faith, nevertheless, that weak faith dies. And then we have a faith like Satan. What is a weak faith? A weak faith is one that trusts Christ. What's a dead faith? A dead faith is one that has no fruits. There's no longer any repentance for sin. There is no longer any turning to Christ for forgiveness. There is no longer any desiring to hear his word. There is no longer any amendment. And you and I can say, all that I mean when I believe is this, that I hold certain things to be true, but I no longer trust in Christ. My faith is gone. Mine has become deader than a doornail. And that's why today, as Paul calls to you and to me as Christians, and Paul said, will you please allow the Holy Spirit to come into your hearts and to strengthen your faith, to make it more robust, to make it more vigorous, to make it more virile, that you become a mightier Christian, we ought to say to ourselves, that I will do and I shall never refuse to allow the Holy Spirit to come into my heart. And then we ought to stop just for a moment and ask, what are we doing? Are you and I allowing the Holy Spirit to come into our hearts to increase our faith? Or are we refusing the Holy Spirit? We may say, what is my attitude towards the Word of God? Do I open my heart to the Holy Spirit or do I not? If I am refusing to allow the Spirit to come into my heart, then I am on the road to spiritual starvation. I am on the road to spiritual suicide, which means that I'm on the road to committing the sin against the Holy Ghost. Every time in your life and mine, you and I say no to the Holy Spirit. Every time we reject Him and say, no, you're not coming into my heart. You're not going to strengthen my faith. What happens? There is a starvation. There is a hardness. There is a dying that takes place in your heart and mind. And that's the unpardonable sin because the time will certainly come in your life and mind when we will be so hardened and dead to the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit will take leave of us. And that sin is unpardonable. That sin is unforgivable. And sometimes we say to ourselves, well, have I committed the sin against the Holy Ghost? Am I beyond hope? If you're asking that question right now, Christian friends, and you're saying, oh, to God, anything, but again, to grieve the Holy Spirit, to cut him off from myself forever. If you and I are even concerned, then there is still hope. Because the man that has cut himself off from the Holy Spirit is a man that doesn't care. Take the first king of Israel, King Saul. He started out as a man of God, and then, because he thought a king could do no wrong, he lived as he wanted to live. He went against God. He cared not how he treated David. 
David. He didn't care what kind of a man he was. And then he realized again that he was going to live as he pleased. He didn't care what God thought of him. And finally he was one, you know, that turned to spiritualism when he wanted to know who was going to win in the battle the next day. He went to the witch at Endor. And he didn't care what God thought of him. And when the battle went against him, he took his sword and put the hilt in the ground, as you know, and leaped on it and took his own life. He didn't care. And when the Holy Spirit would come to you and me, if you and I say, I hope I haven't grieved the Holy Spirit. Well, that's one thing I don't want to do. Thank God there is this comfort for you and me then this morning that we haven't grieved Him and that the Holy Spirit still wants to work in your heart and mind through the Word of God to increase our faith, to make it more robust, to make it again more vigorous. Paul, as he was preaching and as he went up into Ephesus and then later wrote to them, he said, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. My earnest prayer for you is this, that you will allow the Holy Spirit to increase your faith, to make you stronger, to make you mightier Christians, to increase your faith that it be more robust. And you and I may say, well, isn't it true that a weak faith in Christ saves just as much as a strong faith in that? Most certainly is true because the Word of God says so. But nevertheless, Paul reminds you and me that when we refuse to allow the Holy Spirit to come into our hearts, then again, we may know this, that at the end of life there is no eternity, there is no heaven awaiting you and me with God for this reason that Paul in the second place reminds us that refusing the Holy Spirit to come into our hearts, it means this eventual tragedy in your life and mine that will not be able to stand up under the stresses and the strains of life. To be sure, a weak faith in Christ saves just as much as a strong faith. That reed that is bent, it's still not broken off, it still saves in Christ. And that smoking flax, even though there's no flame, but there is smoke. And as long as there is smoke, it's still a saving faith. But do you realize what happens to a weak faith when the storm clouds gather and you and I refuse to allow the Holy Spirit to come into our hearts and to strengthen our faith? Have any storm clouds come into your life and mine? And oh, when they come and there is a weak faith and you and I have cut ourselves off from the Holy Spirit and there is no longer any desire to hear Him and to have Him strengthen our faith, what happens to that weak faith? It just doesn't stand up, does it? The Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, as Paul prayed for the Ephesians, He wants to come and He wants to root you and me and ground us in the love of God. He wants to, through the Word of God, tell us that Christ loves you and He loves me eternally, regardless of what comes in your life and mine. That Christ knows your name and mine. That Christ, again, is the one that controls all the adversities in your life. That He is our shepherd and that He will overrule every evil, whether you and I understand it or not, so that the things which come in your life and mine, adverse though they may be, they shall all be worked together for good, and those things shall be best. But oh, when we refuse to allow the Spirit to strengthen our faith, what happens when the storm clouds come? What happens when death comes to your house? You know, when death comes to other people's houses, it's different, but let me tell you, when death comes to your house, and it comes to my house, believe you me, it's death, isn't it? And it isn't very nice, is it? You can dress it up, and you can act like you don't care, but let me tell you, it burns, and it digs, and it galls. And then if you and I have a weak faith in Jesus Christ, what happens? 
I remember standing at a deathbed with a daughter and her mother was dying and the mother breathed her last as we three were in that bedroom. And when that mother died, the daughter looked at me and she said this. I looked at her and I said, God loves you and your mother and he knows what is best. And she says, no, God doesn't love. I don't like God. I don't want anything to do with God. God doesn't love. I know he doesn't. When you've got a weak faith and the storm clouds come, believe you me, you don't stand up under the stresses and the strains. I stood before a casket with a mother and in the casket was her 14-year-old son, the only son. Have you ever been before the casket of a son and only son? Do you have any idea what it means, your own flesh and blood? And this mother said to me, I was a Lutheran. And she says, God took my boy and I hate him. And she says, I'll never have anything to do with him again. I hate God and I hate anything about him. For God to take my son. What happens to a weak faith when you and I refuse to allow the Holy Spirit to strengthen it and the storm clouds come as they come in your family and they come in mine? You and I become haters of God and that weak faith of ours doesn't stand up and because we don't understand and because we have failed to allow the Holy Spirit again to let us know the depth of Christ's love that he loves and he never makes any mistakes then you and I hate him, don't we? Tragic, isn't it? We may say, is it a matter of life and death that I allow the Holy Spirit to make my face stronger? Yes, it is, friend. Because unless you and I allow the Spirit to come and to make us stronger and our faith more vigorous, let me tell you when the storm clouds come, when death comes to your house and mine, we're not going to be able to stand up under it unless we have allowed the Holy Spirit to prepare us for it. Let's bear it in mind and then we ought to say, I'm going to allow the Holy Spirit to strengthen my faith every day. This ought to be the determination of your life. It's a matter of life and death. There will be no heaven, no eternal life awaiting you and me at the end because when we hate God, God is not going to take you and me to live with him in heaven. And we learn to hate God when... Of that weak faith of ours, we have refused to allow the Spirit to make it strong. We have refused to really find out by experience the depth and the height and the dimensions of the love of Jesus Christ, your Lord and our Savior. And we ought to say to ourselves, I'm going to open up my heart. And I know this is a matter of life and death, that I must allow the Holy Spirit to come into my soul and to strengthen my heart. Do you realize the Holy Spirit is doing something here in the 20th century that he hasn't done in the history of the church up until now? And I mean this, the number of trans that are coming out of the Word of God, especially the New Testament. So often men say to me, I don't understand the Bible. Do you realize that in our 20th century, not only do we have the King James Version from which I have read, and there's the Revised Translation, and there is that new British Translation, and the New Jerusalem Bible, and there again is the one that the American Bible Society, Good News for Modern Man, and again there is Norley, who was given a translation for high school seniors to understand, and there is John Phillips's Matt translation there isn't anybody within the sound of my voice friend if you can read English 
but what there is a translation of the New Testament that you'll understand and that the Holy Spirit will come. Tomorrow night I begin a series of lectures for adults. You and I may say, how do I grow? Some of us may say, well, there isn't anybody I can bring, therefore I'm not coming. May I say, how many of you have never been there? In nearly 32 years, I've had two classes a year, and that's quite a number. And may I say in all humility, I've learned something every time. Some of you have never been there, not even coming by yourself. Do you mean to say that you have the last word in the Christian faith and that your faith is so strong that nothing is going to shake it? That if again there comes a 20-ton load that you're going to have a 20-ton faith? Rather strange, isn't it? Couldn't we come by ourselves if by the providence of God no one will come along? Do you mean to tell me that your faith and mine is so strong? This is the missionary outreach of the church. Some of us have never been there. Who are the ones that murmur? Who are the ones that complain? Who are the despondent? I think of Mary, the mother of Jesus. Have you ever realized what Mary might have been had she not lived close to her God and had that heart open that God could strengthen her? Oh, we like the story when she was up in Nazareth and Gabriel came to her, a young virgin about 17 or 18 years of age as far as we know, and announced to her that she was going to be the mother of the Son of God, of the Christ child. And you and I would say, oh, what a wonderful thing, but listen... It wasn't very many months later before, listen, the neighbors in Nazareth were like the neighbors in Marion. They looked at her and they said, see that Mary that lives over there? She's going to have a baby and she's not married. Just the way they say it in Marion. How did Mary keep, again, her equilibrium? And how did she keep her dignity? She lived close to God. She had the Old Testament. She went down to Judea and visited her cousin Elizabeth. And again, she came back into Nazareth and then they left. And when they came down to Bethlehem that night, that child was born in a stable. How in the world could she stand it? The Son of God, she the Virgin Mother of God's Son, the Savior of the world, born in a stable! How could she stand it and keep her equilibrium, her sanity? She lived close to God. The shepherds came and they comforted that she knew again. She pondered these things. And on the 40th day when she went into Jerusalem with the child to offer the purification sacrifices, what happened? There was Simeon. And Simeon said to Mary, Mary, he said, This child that you have shall be set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel. This child is a controversial child and a sword is going to pierce through your soul also. Yeah, there's going to be a sword going. Again, she was, how, did, how could she stand it? She lived close to God. And then came Calvary. And his mother stood there. And thank God the word of God is quiet on Mary at the cross. There's no word recorded that she spoke. How does it come that Mary, the mother of Jesus, stood there in dignity? There was not a word that we know was spoken. How could she stand it? This was her firstborn son. Son crucified, dying. But she understood there was a faith. God means it well. Somehow or other, this is the way my son will be the savior of the world. She stood there in dignity and in solemnity and in silence. Why? Because she lived close to God. And when you and I let the Holy Spirit strengthen our faith, 
You can stand before the casket of a son or a husband or a wife and they can bring a body back from Vietnam and you can say, it's a 20-ton load, God, but you've given me through the Holy Spirit a 20-ton faith that I can stand it. Everything's all right, God. Then you and I know what it means with a big faith. Paul says to you and me, listen, Christian, as he wrote to the Ephesians, he said, will you see to it that the Holy Spirit will make your faith stronger and stronger? And you and I say, why? Why, after all, doesn't a weak faith in Christ save as much as a strong faith? Sure it does, no doubt about it. But Paul would remind you me that when we refuse the Holy Spirit to strengthen our faith, it means this eventual tragedy also. Our faith loses all concern for anybody else, only for ourselves. A weak faith saves, sure it does, and it may be that broken reed, but as long as it's not broken off, it's still saved. And it may be a smoking flax, but as long as it's still smoking, it's still alive and it saves. But do you realize what happens to a weak faith? When you and I cut ourselves off from the Holy Spirit and we say no to the Spirit, why the Holy Spirit wants to come to you and me, and he wants to fill us with the fullness of God. Paul prayed for that, that we might be filled with the fullness of God, with the fullness of Christ, that there might be in your soul and mine the same love for our fellow man that Christ had. When Christ was here and walked and talked with men, he was interested in the earthly welfare of men, and he was interested also in the eternal welfare of men. But look what happens to a weak faith when you and I cut ourselves off from the Holy Spirit, and through the Word of God, the Holy Spirit wants to get you and me concerned about our fellow man. How about the great missionary command? When we cut ourselves off from the Holy Spirit, we say, huh, I'm not going to be a steward of God. What I've got, but do I've got mine, and I made it the hard way, and I'm not going to feed the hungry, let the hungry guy go out and pitch for himself. And you and I get more selfish and more selfish. What do we care about stewardship? What do we care about sharing? God didn't give us what we've got. We got it because of our sagacity and because of our wisdom and because of our acumen and because of our shrewdness. What do we care about others in the world and what happens? A shriveled soul, isn't that right? That weak faith, oh yeah, that broken reed breaks off. And then we, on the day of our death, when we have lived only for ourselves, we stand before Jesus Christ and he says, Depart from me, I never knew you. I stood at the Dead Sea one day, was there for most of a day, and it was a miserably hot day, as were all the days in Palestine, temperature of about 120 degrees. And there at the Dead Sea or the Salt Sea, over 1,200 feet below sea level, below the Mediterranean Sea, it was so hot there in the desert you could hardly stand it. And we had the hoods up of the cars to try to cool them off. You couldn't even travel. And you say to yourself, what about the ditch? It's a tremendous sea. It's 46 miles long if you think it's small. And at its greatest width, it's 10 miles wide. And I didn't swim in it. Several did because there was no place to take a shower. And when you swim in the Dead Sea or in the Salt Sea and you come out, you've got salt flakes all over you because there's more salt in density in the Dead Sea than in any other sea on the face of the earth. Did you ever ask yourself why? Why, it was up in Galilee, and here's the Sea of Galilee, fresh water flowing freely down into the River Jordan. The River Jordan is fresh water, flows into the Dead Sea. Why with fresh water? Flowing into the Dead Sea, why the Dead Sea, the Salt Sea? Nothing grows, not a tree, not a blade of grass, not a bit of shrub. Most godforsaken area you'd ever want to look at. You know why? 
Because the Dead Sea receives, but it has no outlet. It doesn't give a thing. And when your weak faith in mind, friend, gets to this place in life and we cut ourselves off from the Spirit and we're all ready to receive every last nickel we can get and everything that everybody can do, but we're not ready to give, we become like the Dead Sea. It's salty, it's dead, nothing thrives. It's deader than dead because it receives and it doesn't give. And when the time comes in your life and mine that you and I no longer give of ourselves, well, then when we stand before God on the last day of our life, is it any wonder that Christ will say, Oh, you think you have a saving faith? I never knew you. Oh, that faith of yours is shriveled, it's selfish, it's worse than nothing. Oh, we ought to say this to ourselves then. Sure, a weak faith, it's going to say that it's a faith in Christ just as much as a strong faith. But listen, it's a matter of life and death that we allow the Holy Spirit through the Word of God to come and to make it strong. Well, that ought to mean that today we would determine, say, I want the Holy Spirit to have access to my heart. I'd like to have my faith grow stronger and stronger. That every day I will glorify God in every circumstance that arises in my life. Paul in this great doxology he said for unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think again he says the honor and glory in the church the glory of God what does he mean that you and I ought to say Holy Spirit will you give me a strong enough faith that whatever happens to me today whoever I come into contact with today or tomorrow that my aim will be to glorify you if somebody hurts our feelings to say how can I glorify Christ not by tit for tat to be sure if somebody has need how can I glorify God that some way somehow if I glorify God that someone through me will be able to join that grand procession and Paul sees this grand procession of the saints the glory in the church to about all generation this is the unisanta this is the church universal Paul says look at that grand procession throughout the generations of the church going on and on that you and I may have joy as we glorify God because the Holy Spirit has strengthened our faith that in that grand processional there may be some because again we made the name of God something lovely and something attractive I think of David Livingston David Livingstone, the great missionary, when I was in Glasgow, Scotland, there was a statue of David Livingston. And you know, David Livingston made up his mind that when he gave the Holy Spirit his heart and he wanted a faith to grow strong, that he wanted to go to Africa. And his aim was to glorify Christ in Africa that the black man too should come to know the love of Jesus Christ and should share salvation with the David Livingston. You know, he went to dark Africa and there he preached Jesus Christ and there he loved the black man of Africa. And one time when he came back on furlough to Glasgow University to be honored with a doctorate, and again as I stood there at the university, I thought of that time. He had had an encounter with a lion in Africa and he had a withered arm. And when he came out on the platform, it was always the custom in a university when a man was to be given a doctor's degree that they would heckle him a little bit and they would laugh at him and break the scene. But it is said at Glasgow University that when David Livingstone walked out on that platform, a man with a withered arm, with his skin tanned by the hot suns of Africa, the student body at Glasgow, no one made a sound. The student body as a group arose and they stood there in silence 
and in admiration and in respect for a David Livingstone, the missionary to Africa. He went back to Africa, as you remember, and they found him dead one morning in his hut, and he was in the position of having been bowed in prayer. And then those Africans that loved him so dearly because he had shared the glory of Christ with them, they wanted to give him a great honor, and this was the honor. They removed his heart from his body, and they buried it in Africa. And then they took his body, and they carried it on foot to the coast and put it on a ship coming to London. And when the body reached London, in order to make sure that it was David Livingstone, they x-rayed the arm, and the arm showed that it had been broken. And when you get to Westminster Abbey, as I was there in London, oh, don't miss seeing the tomb of a David Livingstone. We came in. He's buried right in one of the main uh, aisles in the abbey. And there was such a large crowd that day that we had walked down and I had gone over then to my guide and I said, uh, where is the grave of David Livingstone? And he said, well, you just walked on it. And I said, I, I'll not leave the abbey until I see the grave of David Livingstone. Do you realize that where all of the great of England is buried in the abbey, that the one grave that is asked for by more tourists than all the other great of England is the grave of David Livingstone. People say, we want to stand at the grave of David Livingstone, the missionary to the dark man of Africa. And I, I stood there and engraved on again the solid granite on that tomb of his were the immortal words that he had quoted one day when someone said to him, David Livingstone, aren't you afraid when you're out into Africa alone? And he looked rather surprised and he said, afraid? Why, well, he said, I have the word of a gentleman who says, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Oh, to be afraid when a gentleman tells me that he is with me always, and as you stand at his tomb, engraved in marble around the tomb are the words of Jesus, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. When your faith in mine has grown vigorous and strong by the Holy Spirit, and we would glorify him the joy as we see that grand procession, see the saints come marching in to know that there are some, as David Livingston will know, that there are many a black man in that great procession in the church who is there because... David Livingstone's faith grew and he glorified God. That we can sing as we go in that grand procession of the church universal, crowning him with many crowns, the Lamb upon his throne, crowning him with many crowns, and to have the joy of knowing that some are in that grand procession with the saints that are marching in because your faith and mine, it grew. Amen. The peace of God which passeth all human understanding, keeping unites your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.